Hello and welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I'm here with my two brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis. Today, we're talking about the current state of the rock star. You can learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com, follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Now let's talk about the rock star, past, present, and future. Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis. I'm here with my brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis. And today we're talking about the rock star. Whatever happened to the rock star? Is there such a thing anymore? Um, basically, uh, you know, I mean, the origin of the rock star is, is, is well documented. And its heyday was sort of, you know, 60s, 70s. It's sort of built from Elvis on down. Um, you know, there was Beatlemania. But then, you know, the, the real, you know, rock star, rock star, as we sort of attribute it as, a, uh, <clears throat> as an adjective uh, or... Um, you know, in terms of people's behavior, it was sort of this, you know, the hammer of the gods uh, version of uh, Led Zeppelin or the Who, you know, Keith Moon's crazy antics, or, you know, this is, you know, throw your TV out of your hotel room window into the swimming pool kind of rock star. And, you know, I, it's, it's a funny thing to have evolved um, in such a way. Right now, um, you, know, you know, we won't even get to the current state of it, but, you know, way back when, uh, it was really how much can how far can I push this and get away with it? How how indemnified am I from ever having any consequences as a result of my shitty behavior? And uh, the answer is uh, pretty far. Uh, you know, the '70s rock star was you know part myth, part man. Um, you know, uh, the era of groupies and drugs and orgies and destroying hotel rooms and life at the riot house on Sunset Strip. You know, being on tour with uh, Peter Grant, you know, just handing out wads of cash for every, you know, minor indiscretion that, that you, uh, that you um, took part in. So, I mean, what do you guys, you know, chime in here, like, you know, what are your thoughts on, like, the definition of a rock star? Like, what is that thing that, um, you know, sort of you can easily identify and yet really not necessarily easily define? Yeah. Well, I mean... I think that one of the, uh, you know, one of the qualities for sure has to be, I mean, has to be this sort of incredible um, charisma and, and magnetism, right? I mean, because to be a rock star requires fans. You can't necessarily be a rock star in a vacuum without any fans, um, as, as, you know, I think has been proven. There are guys who, who have rock star qualities, um, who are, you know, small local bands. But, I mean, at the end of the day, like, the guys that we're talking about here are those huge, swaggering Robert Plants of the era. Um, you know, I think that there's, like, a there's a sort of sexuality about it that's a pretty big component of it. Um, typically, uh, I think that, you know, for, for a lot of these guys, it's... Um, you know, it's either one of a couple of different personality types. It might be mystery. Um, you know, I'm, and really, I'm just going to go through the different guys in Led Zeppelin here in my brain. Um, <laughs> but uh, you've got, you know, the mysterious one. You've got the multi-talented uh, <laughs> music. The one who drinks one. blood. You've got the, <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. You've got the, um, you know, but but I think part of it was a shock factor as well. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and at the end of the day, I think it's it's about just being a, it's complete sort of outlandishness, right? Like, it's really about sort of, you know, the most completely outrageous sort of um, behavior you could possibly imagine. Yeah, I What's think, a, what do you yeah, think? there's, I mean, to me, I, I picture, you know, a touring jet, Lots of hair, tight pants, you know, uh, twirling guitars, and and I don't know. I mean, it's just a, it's a. I think Robert Plant, who we've mentioned Led Zeppelin a few times here, kind of stands on top of a rock star mountain, and uh, from his blonde locks, you know, fall sort of these these kind of imitators as well. I mean, it, it's a crazy. Uh, he's like the first guy that kind of pops in my mind, but you also have you know kind of. Van Halen and, and uh, obviously Mick Jagger. I mean, we, there's just a sorry, good one. Oh, and the the Robert Plant imitator, Steven Tyler, and um, <laughs> yeah, 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 I mean exactly. a variety of people. But uh. but you had that. I mean, the '70s was a was a was a strange decade for the rock star because you did have that hyper masculine Robert Plant, you know, cucumber in your pants kind of, um, you know. You but no you cucumber. also had the you also had the you know Bowie. Um, T. Elton Rex and Reed kind of, you know, you know, uh, uh, gender Ben, you know, sort of uh, toying um, rock star as well, who was also, you know, sort of, it, they were those guys, particularly Bowie and and uh, Mark Bolin and Lou Reed to a certain degree, Iggy, they were very good at, at manipulating a very limited window into their existence. So you know, basically, you you have a couple of. Uh, publications that that focus on rock stars, but mostly it's you know you could uh, create your own myth back then. You you can sort of you know you can lie to the. I mean, I, would ju- I was just reading again Simon Reynolds' book on um, on uh, glam rock and the outrageous shit that Mark Bolin used to say uh, to you know to different reporters who were sitting in the same room. I mean, it'd be, to one of them he'd be like, "Well, I'm thinking about p- making a deeply religious album." And the next one he'd be like, "I own a castle in Spain." And it's like Mark had never been to Spain, you know. It's like, yeah. uh, but, it's, was, but, but, well, but apparently there weren't any fact checkers. <laughs> yeah. No, they didn't want fact checkers. They wanted like. You know, they wanted headlines, and they got them. They were really good at it. Him it it's funny, though. It's Yeah, it seems like it was an era when, because there was a relatively limited information flow, um, you know, you were able to stoke controversy pretty easily. You could throw a wrench into the media machine because basically the media machine consisted of, you know, a, a, a handful of sort of pillars of the written press at any given time. Um, one of the things, and, and you know, and I think this this applies much more broadly across. I mean, music and and politics and and a bunch of other stuff that that you know. But basically, you are constantly drinking from a fire hose of information now, which means it's much more difficult to sort of shape your particular um, place and sort of define your character within that just incredibly dense, oversaturated media market. Well, I was I was actually going to hold this anecdote for later, but I don't know if you guys heard about Bow Wow's, uh, you know, recent um, sort of, uh, you know, uh, episode Gaff. where he, yeah, yeah, where he, you know, had a picture taken next to a, um, a private jet, and he's like, wheels up in five minutes, and then, you know, his, uh, you know, someone snapped a picture of him uh, like an hour later because he had posted the wheels up uh, thing all over social media. And a guy sitting next to him recognized him and coach on Southwest. And he took a picture and said, this is Bow Wow and coach <laughs> on Southwest. That did not you know? happen to uh, Mark Bolin or David Bowie. 
No, because I mean, they, well, the, I think the Rock press back then was complicit in it. Yeah. They knew that the bigger the you know the bigger the tall tale, well, one, or the taller the tale, I should say, the, the better the sales. <laughs> one of the things I've always yeah. thought too is that you had a group of people following these guys around, and, and I mean, no offense, Wyndham, to your uh, writer cred or, or you know community, but you kind of have like a bunch of dorks, you know, that back then, these writers that sort of adored these people and, and made them, you know, kind of these gods and, and, and wrote about them in such a way and got to be a part of that lifestyle, you know, and I think that really helped as well. Oh, uh, absolutely. Well, and, and by the way, that is one thing that has not evolved in this entire equation. No, people who write about not. this shit are still dorks. <laughs> um, um, but I did see the Lester Bangs one-man show the other day, uh, How to Be a Rock Critic, and there was, you know, I mean, if you read Lester Bangs, it was, you know, he was one of the first sort of journalists that that, that wanted a little bit of truth in his, um, but also, you know, sort of maintained a bit of myth. <laughs> he also derived pretty far from that, or yeah. diverged pretty far from that path whenever it was yeah. convenient. What is, um, he wanted know, his version of the truth. Yeah. His desire versus his actual output is, is something completely different. And the disappointment when, you know, when, when he sort of actually met these people was was really part of, uh, a major through line in this um, particular, you know, depiction and in his own writing. It's just like, um, you know, the disappointment in meeting the legend and finding out the legend's a guy who... And that, yeah, no, and I mean, I think that that speaks perfectly to something that, that we're actually, that we'll, we'll, I think we should save for a minute, which is really this, this question of where have the rock stars gone? And in Lester Bang's case, I think that, you know, that, that presents an interesting question. Like, he, he was there at a moment when... Um, all of a sudden, the sort of the the anti rock star started to emerge. But but to the to the question of sort of what what defines a rock star, what you were saying about Lil Bow Wow a minute ago, or excuse me, Bow Wow, as I think he goes by as an adult. That's what he goes by in Coach. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> on his um, Southwest is, ticket. Uh, yeah, I, I would love to see that printed on the ticket. But um, but you know, I, I think that there is uh, there are more. St- Stars now, or perhaps it's really just a question of the the weakness of the of the major labels. And so, what I'm going to get at is like a, a question about infrastructure here, which is that back in the day, you used to have guys who were literally handed envelopes full of cash and encouraged to go blow it on drugs, you know, within 20 minutes, um, so that they could perform and be more exciting and throw these massive parties. But I mean, that was about uh, that was about ultimately a, a system or a network of these major labels that could sustain this stuff. Um, you know, and they basically just they they bankrolled the ones that were winning, and then if you started to drop off a little bit, they'd crush you and push you to the side. It was like I, I mean, it was very easy for Mark them to Bowen. exactly. It was very easy for them to sort of dictate, um, you know, and and it was very easy for them to to adjust quickly, you know, where they were dedicating their resources. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that sort of allowed people to really double and triple and quadruple down on these guys who were about to become these massive heroes of rock and roll. Well, yeah. and do you think that, I mean, and I guess this is a question and, and sort of a statement, but you had kind of the idealism of the 60s and then the, the cash and the industry of the 70s onto the 80s which eventually leads to a backlash, right? Which and then we get the the late seventies punk rock movement, which yeah. through the eighties turns into the you know grunge movement, which became kind of an anti rock star trend, even though those guys were rock stars. 
Yeah, you, pick any pick any like country that's experienced a revolution because of like ravish, like lavish living and theft by the people by like the very small group of people who run the place, you know. And then all of a sudden you have guys who are like, wait a second, I feel disenfranchised. There's a revolution. And then you have minor threat. Yeah, yeah exactly. And um, you truly do have the revolution. I mean, I think you know there was two ways back then to sort of cement your legacy as a rock star, and and uh, one of them was uh, you know being at the peak of your powers and and being crazy popular. The other was dying young when you were, you know, before you could become fat Mark Bolin. Um, right. Or cementing your legacy, totally. I mean, but that basically closes the book on, on new developments. And yeah, it's, it's. I mean, as, as awful as it is to say, there's no question that it changes the way that people remember you. Um, well, you so. Yeah, never getting old is a good way to stay sexy. Yeah, exactly. So should we... Uh, should we take a break here and then we can talk about, you know, w- what the factors were that sort of drove the rock stars away? Like sure. the dinosaurs. Right. Yep. Welcome back to Brother, 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 where today we are discussing uh, rock stars and where they've gone and, and who might have replaced them. Uh, Wyndham, one of the things, I, I think I cut you off a minute ago, um, that I was really interested in hearing a little bit more about, which was sort of this idea of, you know, the, the solo individual rock star, we can all think of a couple, um, versus how these guys operated inside bands. Because, you know, the, there aren't that many bands that, that we can think of that, that maybe uh, where every member is a rock star, right? Well, I, th- so- I think that, you know, and I think that drove a lot of these bands, I mean, along with the industry, uh, you know, the unfairness of the industry, but a lot of these bands were might have, you know, lasted longer had they not been, you know, sort of uh, uh, torn apart by by the ego of, of some people becoming far more popular. I mean, it, it's, you know, uh, The Who was notoriously uh, in this camp where, you know, Pete Townsend's writing all the songs, he's a guitar player, but he can't sing. Right. And he's forever resented Roger Daltrey for being a great singer and for being the face of The Who. And being um, in great shape. Yeah, well, he's and a I mean, super... Kudos to him. 
He's a sex guy. You know, yeah, there's something to be man. said for being good looking too. I mean, if you can do yeah. all three, you're. I mean, you're a rock star. <laughs> I mean, that's then, where. But we, you know, Pete Townsend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But the, you know, I mean, so you had your solo. You know, your solo individual rock stars like Bowie and. Um, you know, Mark Bolin, I keep repeating those names, but, uh, you know, and in different ways, like Dylan and Springsteen, who were, you know, very anti-rock stardom, but were their own cult, you know, have their own cults, um, which are, you know, very much larger than cults. I mean, it's their cult, their cult following is, you know, like calling Catholicism a cult. Um, you know, it's, uh, you had bands like The Doors, where it was really Jim Morrison and three guys. Yeah. Um, even though, you know, anybody who knows music knows who those three guys are. The Doors is Jim Morrison's mm-hmm. face at this point. You know what I mean? He Literally. Was, he's, uh, you know, yeah. the posters, the album covers, the greatest hits. And then you get a, a band like Van Halen where, you know, the dueling egos of Eddie Van Halen and David Lee Roth were probably the end of that relationship, whereas Michael Anthony was perfectly happy being a bass player and a backup singer. Um, you know, uh, you know Jagger and Richards like, uh, versus... Yeah, or- the you Eagles, know. Oasis, like, I mean, there are a ton of bands that broke up because of mega egos inside them after success, right. right? Right, and, you know, a lot of them, you know, but you think about the Eagles and Oasis. Oasis is the Gallagher brothers. The Eagles is Henley and Fry. It's like, you know, there's there's four there's four other guys in, in the band that, like, you know, are sort of like, okay, and some of them are particularly, you know, some of them are great at playing a secondary role, and some of them don't mind playing a secondary role, but I think a lot of times... You know, you, you find that these these uh, you know it becomes an unsteady, an uneasy uh, balance once um, you know once a couple people get super famous and become celebrities, and the other guys are just sort of ancillary. Um, and well, I you think, know that was uh, sorry. One that you can can look at as a successful version of that is the Rolling Stones, where I think you have two guy two primary rock stars and Keith Richards and, and Mick Jagger who absolutely know their their place in that band. I think Keith is is super aware that, you know, he may write a lot and, and be kind of the music guy, but he's not a frontman necessarily and, and Jagger brings that that voice and that swagger. So it's one of the absolutely, rare I'd say I'd say that's an uneasy relationship too. I mean they, they rip on each other fairly frequently and also uh, not to mention the fact that the rise of Richards and Jagger was the thing that probably killed Brian Jones. Uh, Whose band it was originally. <laughs> What's up? Oh, that's what that was. Floating in a pool. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, but it, it, you know, he, he, it was his band and he was pissed because it was his band and it had been taken over by yeah. these two much more dominant personalities. And so, you know, it, it, but, it, you know, as we said before, there's periods where you know, the, the anti-rock star thing comes in, places like punk and, um, you know, later in grunge where it was it was almost an anti-rock star movement that produced, a, you know, ironically produced a bunch of rock stars. Um, but then you get into, like, the 2000s, and there were bands that felt like rock stars, but they were collectives, like The Strokes to me, uh, or Interpol. Um, none of those guys individually stood out they were like they were the strokes and they were interpol it was like yeah, it's hard to picture mentality. individuals the in shins, the, strokes. the hives yeah yeah the one, the one outlier here and and i think is worth mentioning is is the white stripes and jack white where he's just always been such a dominant force in anything that he's touched um because he is really a rock star decades out of league with Time, you know, with time, yeah. like he would have, he would have done so fucking well in the seventies, and he's done pretty well for himself in the nineties and two thousands. By the yeah, way, but he, I mean, um, but you can't watch that guy without going, "Holy shit, that's a rock star!" 
Yeah, exactly. But I mean, there's you know, uh, of course we're we're recording this after, um, yeah, after the passing of, of Chris Cornell, and there are some guys who just have that have that sort of charisma, je ne sais quoi, or yeah, exactly. That's just it's this incredible X factor. Um, to now we're going to get sued by that TV show. Um, but no, but uh, there, you know. there's, there's another comparison that I've always made, which it, to me um, was sort of, uh, you know, it, it sounds, in, um, you know, sort of uh, incongruous, but it, it, to me it isn't. I, I've gone to, you know, I've seen you two several times over the years, and Bono is a great rock star who knows he's a rock star, who's really good at being a rock star. And then I remember seeing Coldplay when they first came out and thinking like, okay, well, the, you know, I mean, say what you will about Coldplay, but they were sort of, you know, they were designed to be the same yeah, arena band sound-wise that, that U2 was. And Chris Martin just felt so self-conscious about, he felt so apologetic about being a rock star that it was no yeah. fun to watch him be a rock star. Well, and I mean, I, I think another question about that, I mean, they weren't quite as designed as Coldplay, but I mean, Radiohead's another funny one where you've got a few guys in that band None of whom really want that job, like you know, and and when everything down to the the sort of scientific way that they they actually construct and write their songs, um, where they actually they they basically mail um, sections of songs to each other uh, to fill in that next instrumental part, and then sort of do it in sequence like that, rather than um, you sort of give it to the guy who use whose instrument you think would be the most useful next. Um, like all of that's basically designed to be a sort of c- community or like group. Yeah, there's well, I think Ar- also Ar- sonically. Ar- Sorry, they're a band that that's moved away from that too. So I mean, you have bands in the Radiohead reference is, is a good example who hit it big and then sonically take that sound in a non-rock star direction. I mean, as much as Radiohead is obviously you know a huge band and, and loved by millions. You know, I don't think that the same people who listen to, uh, you know, uh, Creep listen to Moonshaped, um, you know, last album. And so... Moon, a Moonshaped pool. Moonshaped, yeah. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I think that there's that. And that, that kind of falls into that anti-rock star movement as well. I mean, I think a lot of those bands purposely kind of try and almost sa- not sabotage. I mean, they're, they're, they're doing what they want to do, which is artistic freedom. Yeah. But, but it, it's... But uh, going- it, it's conscious. Yeah, going back to the the, the early two thousands uh, moment, um, the Strokes did carry themselves like rock stars. Um, the f- the thing was that they were a unit, and I think Radiohead are rock stars that are reluctant to be rock stars, but um, you know also carry themselves as a unit. I think is you know the democracy and the songwriting and all all the other. Um, they're you know sort of um, probably a very wise. A choice not to uh, put them put their faces too front and center. Part of me, and I'll just I'll say one more thing, and then I think we can we can yeah, sort we of move on to, to answer this question about you know why they've actually left the scene. But I mean, I think when you talk about the Strokes and Interpol, I, I like without doing any disservice to the music that those guys made, I do think that when you think about them sort of aesthetically, when you start thinking about like the style, the fashion choices they're making, it was. Look, it, I, I won't say it's contrived, but it was definitely fully inspired by the rock bands of the 70s. And the rock bands of the 70s, by contrast, were not fully inspired by the rock bands of the 50s. Um, and, you know, the fact that they were recycling something, that they were reinterpreting or reimagining or bringing something cool back from history, um, you know, if you're going to be doing that, if five guys are going to get together and reinvent the Rolling Stones, like, why the fuck wouldn't you be Mick or Keith? 
which means you have five Micker Keiths on stage. And you know what? People loved it. So it's a great idea. I'm just saying, like, I mean, it, it does, there is, like, there was thought put into it. And for that reason, I think it's it sort of, uh, it, you know, it, it's not surprising that you, that you wouldn't have a sort of sheepish guy sitting in the back. That is true. Do you guys want to take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll, Let's uh, do it. Ask, we'll ask us the question, why, why have all the rock stars gone? to the brother 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 pod and we're talking rock stars today and so uh here's the question what makes a rock star in this day and age well damn jeremy (laughs) i think that's a i mean i think that you know by the definition that we used in the first segment i mean you know we want somebody with charisma we want somebody with um some kind of uh some kind of technical ability a good bulge you know yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, the, the great, great Karen O reference. Um, but you know, the uh, I think you want somebody who has a sort of like heightened sexuality for sure, um, and they can be, you know, either the lead guy in a band or maybe the second guy in a band, but like probably not the third, fourth, fifth, whatever you know, so on and so forth guy in a band. Um, it really is somebody who just who's just striking. Um, and, you know, so I, I guess one of the questions is, you know, pop stars obviously have, have been doing this forever, but I mean, part of that, and, and rap, rap stars too, and, and are, you know, um, but I think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that like both of those genres are um, purpose built to like as delivery vehicles for solo artists in a way that rock and roll historically isn't. So, you know, it's, it's a little bit easier to shine when you're the only person on the stage and you have backup dancers than it is when you're one of five guys who write songs together on a stage. Um, and, you know, I think that you see it a little bit now and much as it pains me to admit this, Kings of Leon. Um, but, like, you know, Jack White when he's around. But I, I'm really, I'm struggling at this moment to think, like, well, who's well, a young up-and-comer... You've talked a lot about, you know, is hip-hop producing the only rock stars? And I think that's a really great 
question and great thought because I mean you think of Kanye you think of um, Jay-Z you think of you know all the, the new flock of guys that are coming up and, and th- that's who everybody's talking about right that that that's all over every every step they take uh, me, you know let they me have, just interject with, yeah I'll oh, go ahead well, let me just interject with one, with one, um, you know, little, uh, you know, one additional criteria, which is, you know, through the ages, a rock star was somebody who your parents didn't approve of or possessed a, an air of danger. And mm-hmm. so the most popular people right now, the people who, you know, who dominate in the way that rock stars used to are sort of Beyonce, Taylor Swift, um, you know, I'd say Justin Timberlake, all of whom are very, accept- you know, all of whom your mom, you know, your parents are listening. You know, Your parents are going to, to those concerts. Yeah, Absolutely. on their own. And so, you know, who presents danger? Who presents, you know, a, a degree of outrage? Who do your parents not want? You know, who do so, a 13-year-old's parents not want them listening to? So an interesting, ver- I mean, part, okay, so w- one question here is, I mean, you know, for rap to successfully... Um, produce rock stars. You know, we ne- we also need to we also need to make the the point that like rap's market, while it seems huge within its own context, isn't global the way that rock and pop's market has been historically. Um, so you know, you do get guys who break out of that mold. You get Kanye West, you get Jay Z, and you get you know, a ri- I would say take it back a little further one of the first guys to just truly transcend all of the different sort of genres was a guy like Eminem. And he might be a sort of like, you know, a, a, actually a, a pretty perfect mold of what we're talking about in, in the modern era. If, you know, if you drop the instruments away and whatever, like that guy was a fucking rock star. Your parents yep. hated him. Girls loved him, thought he was cute. Um, and I just wanted to be him, as they he say. Was in, yeah, he was in a fucking movie. I mean, like, he did all of the right stuff, you know? Um, and, you know, had many very, very highly uh, or high-profile relationships. Um, maybe like, maybe, maybe one of the great criteria for, for, for uh, rock stardom is, is any, uh, any artist uh, whose records are burned uh, publicly. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, no, that's a that's a that's actually a good point. I mean, I, I just that sort of occurred to me on the fly here, so I'm not sure how. Uh, um, but but I think you know now, yeah, pop is. I mean, look, it's more difficult in some ways to. Well, I don't know. In, in some respects, you've got a generation of kids who are more progressive and PC than their parents are for the first time. So, like, actually, you're more likely to piss kids off with, like, um, with, with certain types of behavior yeah, than you are people's parents. Isn't that yeah. weird? That is, it's, <laughs> it's, very strange. it's an upside-down world at the moment. Um, but, yeah, I mean, who, you know, like, you know, who, I guess it's, you know, really who, you know, who when you rebel as a, you know, early teenager or whatever... What do you throw on now that, you know, says, you know, when your mom is, you know, particularly cool, grew up listening to rock and roll and, you know, what makes her scream, turn that down? That's not music. I mean, is it EDM? Is it like DJ? I mean, DJs are... It's big. Yeah, they're rock stars in their own right when you're actually right. There's a whole... I mean, those guys sell out, you know, I mean, David Guetta or Dead Mouse or, you know, uh, Skrillex or... I mean, it, that is the kind of stuff that's, uh, you know, I mean, at least from a musical standpoint, that is the kind of thing where, you know, your, your traditional rock-loving parent says, that isn't music. Yeah. Um, 
And yeah, hmm. Well, I, so I okay. I think Diplo. to take a step back for a second. Yeah, I mean, I one of the things I I, I want to propose is this idea that maybe rock stars now are, you know, they they maybe they're done and dusted, right? And the, like part of this is is the way that that. Indie rock has been so mainstreamed since the 1990s. Sort of in the post, um, you you know, you had grunge, which just didn't intend to be what it became. Um, it, it started out as something that like wasn't intended to produce rock stars, and then became a fucking rock star factory. Um, and then you had uh, then you had like the post grunge era, which was just like the labels and sort of corporate America scrambling to reproduce that, and they couldn't quite do it, and it sucked. And so during that time, basically, you had all of the big money and all of the, like, again, this is sort of the infrastructure argument, sort of put behind a bunch of really shitty bands like Papa Roach and Papa Roach um, <laughs> and Papa Roach again, who put out an album last week, so I feel the need to drive them into the ground. But um, We'll be reviewing that you know, in another pod. Well, yeah, exactly. Bisc- yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll dedicate two hours to that. Um, <laughs> no, but I mean, basically it was new metal, which is like the, the scourge of my childhood, by the way. Um, but you had, you know, so you had new metal, which came out. And so, look, that was a time of, of like really organic growth for indie, for indie rock. You had, um, you know, that and like it, you had the, the pavements of the world blowing up. You had basically, you know, a ton of indie labels that were cropping up all over the place um, in the mid to late 90s. You know, the merges and, of course, Sub Pop had been there, but like they were really sort of gaining traction now. And you have these sort of like it, it's not it's Dare not I say kill rock stars. <laughs> Yeah, it's not <laughs> balkanized or regionalized, but it is, um, it, it is, you know, they sort of get that they're probably playing to, like, a little bit more of a niche market. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, and everybody was sort of fine with that. There's, like, a, there's a comfortable indie rock stardom that guys like Defender Bandhart obtained for a couple of years, um, you know, for a decade or whatever. And, like, you, you know, it's the same guys who here in New York will come back and play Webster over and over and over again, or maybe Irving, Irving or something like that, mm-hmm. the Irving Plaza. But like, they're well, not going to Madison Square Garden. It's you a comfortable know living. That. Yeah, I think that that I mean that that's a good point. I, I do think you know that idea that when we talked about it a little bit on the first segment that the kind of anti rock star movement that grunge created because even those bands like Linkin Park and Papa Roach and all those sort of post grunge bands, whether you like them or not, obviously Christian's a huge Papa Roach fan. Um, you know, they weren't the same as, like, a Van Halen, uh, Motley Crue in the sense of, like, debauchery and, and groupies and, and, you know, touting sort of the, the you know, limousines and, and bikini-clad chicks. Uh, you see more of that, actually, in, in the hip-hop genre today than you do in the rock genre. So there's, there sort of became this kind of, like, you know, I, I think you know, the ambition to be a rock star wasn't, wasn't there necessarily. I think before, to your point, I mean, people got a lot more PC. It just wasn't cool to do that stuff, you know, to, to be a jerk in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, it became kind of, you know, cool to, to have a scene and, and to, you know, just make music that, that you wanted to make. And obviously, you know, we talk about a lot on this pod, the, the access to that music blew up the record companies, which I think Christian touched on earlier, or fell apart. <laughs> There's no money machine behind a lot of this now. But there was something. Yeah, I think you you make a great point, which is there was some. There's something fundamentally egalitarian about the indie rock world, or you know, at least look every every social dynamic creates its winners and losers. It's it's unavoidable. But there is something like you know, if you're an asshole, you kind of get called out for it in the indie rock world. Well, um, I, but I also I've always said this. I think. You know, indie rock and, and hip hop are exact, 
you know, polar opposites, which is, you know, indie rock is a bunch of, you know, probably, you know, fairly privileged suburban kids pretending that they have street cred and, and, um, you know, hip hop is a bunch of kids from, you know, the neighborhood from, you know, urban streets uh, pretending to be rich from the ghetto until they are money. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Whereas the indie rock kids never actually become, uh, never actually achieve street cred. Um, but, um, no, I mean, I, I think that's like, that is a good point. I mean, or, you know, if not polar opposites, they certainly do seem like a sort of yin and a yang or two sides of the same, you know, um, dynamic, which I think is a great segue, um, well, first, first, the one last thing. All right, so before I give you, before I drop this massive, uh, like, hypothesis about where the rock stars have gone, um, which I've been saving for this whole episode, I, I just want to drop, you know, one guy who I think is, is kind of interesting right now who definitely started in the rock, in the pop world but is sort of trying to, to carve out a sort of rock star niche for himself um, at a time when, you know, if you look at the top 40, it's super dominated by... Uh, music made on computers, right? I mean, it's much more electronic than um, than the pop, star, yeah. pop charts have been forever. Yeah, um, and that's that's Harry Styles, who in his new album, you know, he really does sort of like, you know, recall a lot of the sort of '70s sounds and musical influences. Um, and you know, without diving too far into that, I think it's it's an it's an interesting question or it's an interesting experiment on his part, uh, knowingly or not, to sort of cut against the grain of the top 40 right now this this yeah. much to leave a boy band and not you know aim for justin timberlake's career or robbie williams's career or yeah. uh you know whoever else graduated from and boy bands um or beyonce or you know whomever um you know that's sort of been the the target of anybody who who grew up as a you know sort of a child star you know which means that you have enough talent to to be you know selected for one of these Bands yeah, that, he's been you know, singing, singing, singing in arenas, yeah. singing in arenas since he was fifteen. Um, but you know, but okay, so I think for anybody who's interested in this subject, like go check out the the Rolling Stone cover story that Cameron Crowe wrote about him um, and spent a ton of time with him to to write it. Um, you know, but one of the interesting things that really stuck with me about that was the fact that when Cameron Crowe kept asking him sort of about you know the the um, the performance and and you know the how he was he was sort of going to you know lead these and he he like the kid just could not stop talking about um, his band and the band and like it's as though he's just I mean granted yeah it's a total like fabrication well I don't know that it is that conscious though I think he really like loves this band is the way it came across <laughs> and he wants to be like he wants to go from being boy band kid who came up through one of Simon Cowell's like you know delivery mechanisms and and become like yeah, and he just, he's like, shit, I've always wanted, you know, I, I, he wants to be Mick Jagger. And I wonder, originally, before he was on, like, he was on the X Factor, the British equivalent of it, like the British American Idol equivalent, whatever the hell it was. Um, and he applied as a solo act, and he was rejected, and then combined together with four other kids who were rejected solo acts, and they became One Direction. So I have a um, question just on this this new Harry Styles album and, and Christian you, you've been pretty enthusiastic about you know kind of following this this turn surprised. from boy very band very genuinely surprised yeah no yeah. And, and and that's cool I mean I, I am stuck listening to pop radio most mornings when I'm home driving my kids to to school now is this album being being sort of accepted in Embraced, that teeny yeah. pop world or is it going to be on after the 15 chain smoker songs that I hear every morning or, well, is, again, or is it I, yeah, so something that's the that's, thing. I feel like you would know way better than I would what's being accepted in the teeny pop world um, I 
personally have no fucking clue. Um, it, you're absolutely right to ask the question, though. It might just be that me and a bunch of other late 20s, like, indie rock fans are like, holy shit, this is pretty good. And then, you know, uh, 12 of us buy it because everybody else has Spotify. And, uh, <laughs> and this record completely bombs. Yeah, it might bomb like, with its intended audience, and it, and it may, you know, ancillarily, uh, you know, may not take hold with its, you know, with its unintended audience, which is 12-year-old girls part, who love Harry Styles. Part of me thinks, part of me thinks 12-year-old girls who love Harry Styles are still going to love twer- 12, or still going to love Harry Styles, though. Hmm. We'll see. They love Harry. Anyway, you want to take a quick break and come back and uh, we've been waiting. Reveal uh, been... the, reveal the, the thesis. Yeah. Okay. All right, cool. All right. Let's do that. She walked away through a cheap pack of cigarettes. Mixed with a bit of intellect And all the boys they were saying they were into it Such a pretty face On a pretty next to driving me crazy But I'm into it But I'm into it I'm kinda into it It's getting lazy I think I'm losing it I think I'm losing it Oh, I think she said I'm in your Podcast tonight we're talking about rock stars and we're going to speculate now on where the next generation of rock stars are going to be coming from. Who are they? Where you know what is this? Uh, what is the current state of the rock star? What is that? What is their persona? What is their uh, vehicle for getting their their work out there? And you know part of it has to do with you know the proliferation of social media and people's ability to be in in contact directly. Um, and to follow consistently uh, their favorite stars or favorite celebrities, be it you know rock stars or movie stars or whatever. But um, where do you think the next generation of rock stars are coming from, Christian? 
Well, so I've been really interested in this idea that, like, the, the young, like, next generation rappers right now are, <clears throat> um, are themselves sort of occupying that rock star space um, in a way that, that, you know, no one in, in rock overtly is. And granted, I was helped to this conclusion um, or helped to this idea by these guys themselves, right? Like, I mean, it, you, it, there's been a ton, uh, ton of press about how, like, um, Lil Uzi Vert and uh, Lil Yachty, like, have been labeling their tracks alternative rock when they upload them to, uh, to SoundCloud. Um, and, you know, God knows they, like, they wear enough, like, tie-dye and shit. Um, and, you know, some of the aesthetic choices um, I don't think are completely uh, original. Like, I mean, I, I always loved the fact that a guy like Lil Wayne, who um, was by all accounts, like a very conventional, you know, top of the pack rapper, um, for a period of time there, you know, I loved the fact that he wore like skinny jeans, um, and like skating t-shirts and, you know, like to hang out at skate park. Like there were things that, you know, just, it's so, cr- I mean, I don't know how deliberate a choice that was. Cause he realized like, I can get another 3 million people to listen to my records if I do this, and it's a very simple change to make. Um, but, it never, you know, whatever it was... It felt artificial with him, though. It didn't. No, I yeah. agree with you. I and think I it think was, like... He just he was just, like, a weird... He was just kind of an unusual guy, and he was, like, totally fine being himself in that way. Well, um, I think, too, skater culture and, and kind of young culture turned from punk and, and metal to hip-hop, you know? So it, it's almost speaking to yeah. those folks, you know, just as Well, he, he loved, he loved, he clearly loved the sort of rebelliousness of, um, of punk rock, you know? And that is, and it's, and it's cool. Um, and I agree, I think, you know, I think that's a great, like, that's a great sort of thing to adopt as a rapper in his position at that particular time. Um, but, you know, the guys I'm, I'm thinking about now are, you know, they they aren't quite rap. I mean, and that's the thing. You know, they they kind of don't even rap. And there was a ton of, um, I mean, or at least their interpretation of what rap is has changed pretty significantly. So yeah, like, rewind, you know, rewind that a little. Just to stay on that for a little bit, a second and explain it a little more because I don't get that. Sure. You say they're not like they're not conventional rappers in, in the sense that they're not vocalists or they're not their music is not you know. Sort so of yeah, I mean. Sp- or, sp- Specifically, I'm, I'm focused in on the lyrics here. I mean, I think, um, you know, you've got, like, historically, if there's one thread of truth that, you know, or, or of, like, consistency that we can, we can highlight in rap music, it's the fact that, like, everyone from, um, you know, Chuck D to Nas to Eminem to, uh, I mean, hell, even, you know, like, the 50 Cent um, uh, generation to... Uh, to ASAP Rocky a couple years ago, 2014, 2013. These are all guys who, like, they are they are rap forward. Like, you have to be a good lyricist. Um, and even though some of them are way better than others and some of them lean on beats more heavily than others, um, you know, I like, at the end of the day, it's about, it's about, like, killing rhymes and actually doing, you know, dropping rhymes that cause people to, like, you just you every once in a while you just hear that like couplet or those two couplets and you're just like holy shit that is so cool like you know they change up the delivery of the flow and it is like very contingent upon the flow now you have a group of guys who like at best i mean this is how they self-describe they call themselves like mumble rappers like Lil Lil yachty has said that about himself right like they're they're heavily auto-tuned now you've got guys like migos on the one hand who are that's not what i'm talking about those guys have insanely Intricate and I think kind of fascinating rhyming patterns. Yeah, I was gonna say, Migos um, which, has kind of a cool style. 
Like the old school oh, yeah. guys. It's like, it's an interesting, I mean, if you actually scan it, and I'm not suggesting anybody go take themselves back in ninth grade English class, but like when you start looking at rhyming patterns and inflection <clears throat> points in, in their uh, in their lyrics, like it's, it's intense and it's not an accident. Um, and if it is an accident, it's fucking genius. Um, so, you know, set them aside. But you've got these guys like Lil Yachty who like, the guy became fucking famous on Instagram. And, like, he's, he knows that, and he's okay with that. But, I mean, he was on Hot 97 recently. And, look, the, 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 the origin or the backbone or the historical origins of, um, you know, of, of this sort of emphasis on the MC and, and uh, lyricism, you know, is ultimately the battle rap, right? Like, it's about, you know, it's about being able to conduct yourself and sort of compete with other people, I think. And, like, he was on Hot 97, and they asked him to freestyle, and he just said no. So he wait, like, I'm gonna interrupt you. He's like, I just don't Christian, fucking do that. Was that Uzi or was that Yachty? Because I did watch that, that was little, one. That was little. That was little Yachty. Okay, that was really interesting. That was really cool. And and when uh, I, mean, I don't, it doesn't sound like, like you saw no it. Thanks. He puts on <laughs> DJ Premier, the DJ, the radio DJ, and he's like, I'm gonna throw some drums down, like kick down some verses. And the guy's like, he looks at him. I mean, almost like, eh, no way, man. Why would I do that? And it became this kind of conversation of, like, old-school hip-hop. And I thought the cool, the other cool part of that, that whole interview was when they were talking about, like, influences. And, uh, you know, he said, like, 808 um, Heartbreak by Kanye changed his life. And that's really what, what got him rapping. So he'd only been rapping for, like, two years. And these guys are steeped in, in kind of the hip-hop I grew up on and, and win and, and Christian loves as well. That sort of old-school, the, the kind of golden age of hip-hop. And, um, you know, the one guy was like, that's what separates the radio DJ. That's what separates, you know, the old from the young is that, you know, 808's our least favorite <laughs> Kanye album if you're old. And uh, it seems like the young guys have really, you know, adopted that as kind of the, the heart of hip hop. But so, yeah, I mean, he just he's just he's cool with not being what people necessarily want him to be. And then all of a sudden I hear that and I start thinking, wait a second. You know, this is the like we've had a we've had a pretty much we've had a very you know continuous sort of chain of, of events in in the in like the the sort of trajectory of rap I think where you've seen people you know you tack a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right or you change things here and you change things there but like we've never really had that moment like that cataclysmic moment the way that punk rock changed rock. Well, here's a, here's a question for you: Is you know bucking expectation? Uh, you know, a uh, hallmark of a rock star, and if that is the case in this in this uh, instance, I mean, are we saying the same thing? Where like, you know, I mean, going back to the early '90s with grunge, grunge was an organic, um, you know, uh, movement, um, not called grunge by anybody who was of it, but um, you know, it was an organic movement that beca- that toppled the world, and then the, the industry chased it. Is this another instance where, you know, these guys are bucking trends and doing their own thing, and then the and everybody's going to go try? everybody's going to have rainbow, like, you know, beads in their braids for the next five years? Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's entirely possible. Um, and certainly these guys are super high profile very quickly. Um, and, you know, I, I think, but it is interesting. I love the way that, like, these guys are challenging the conventions of, you know, the way this sort of, like, machismo, like, hyper-masculine bullshit that's always existed in rap, um, like, 
fucking young thug is wearing ball gowns on the cover of his, on the cover of his albums. You know, it's, like, it's kind of it's kind of awesome. Well, there's another um, quote from that whole scene. I can't, and I apologize. It might have been the same interview with Yadi where they ask like, "What you know? You call yourself a rock star, which is kind of what we're talking about on this pod." And he says, "Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a rock star." What do you mean? He's, and he, I think the references he points out are Marilyn Manson and Gigi Allen. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. It's a Gigi Allen fan? (laughs) I guess so, yeah. um, But, I mean, those are very different than, you know, to your point. Like, I mean, Marilyn Manson, that's a a theatrical, huge kind of... It's a construct. Yeah, exactly. But the other, I mean, the other thing, I mean, taking a a slight step back... Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, that speaks to sort of this idea that they merge image with content as well. Like, Marilyn Manson wasn't just selling... His music, right? I mean, he was also selling. Yeah, the, he was, he was what selling he the concept rock. of yeah. Marilyn Manson. He was he was yeah. selling, um, you know. Dis, again, that was a classic example of he was selling, you know, parental fear uh, more than th- he was music. And think about the number of these guys who are selling um, songs that have their own dance move to it, whether it's the Nene or the Dab or, and I mean, I you know, those are. Uh, all both Atlanta, um, Atlanta-based sort of dances that, that that went super viral. But I mean, these guys are smart enough to understand that sort of marketing component of this, which I think does give them an edge in the in the rock star debate. That like they are sort of becoming rock stars. Um, and you know, the other thing is they're knowingly and willfully fucking up the market. I mean, they are not even releasing real songs and albums. They're releasing mixtapes online for free. Um, and one of the mixtape, one of the benefits of this, this sort of, uh, of this medium, I think, um, is ultimately the fact that you can experiment with, and if people say this sucks, you say, yeah, it was a joke. I still don't understand. I love it. Like what the difference is, the difference yeah. is that mixtapes are basically carving up, um, instrumentals that have been previously used in other, uh, I mean, other tracks. Historically. It's almost like a DJ I mean, set. Yeah, except that you're you're vocals. effectively remixing with your yeah. own vocal samples and stuff like that. Um, but an album is, you know, it's also about whether you're doing like it, it matters where you're doing it. Um, and you know, if you do, like who a, owns it? Yeah, um, but I mean, these guys are fucking around and just pumping out songs, um, and it's really challenging, you know, the the labels to figure out how to scoop this stuff up and take their uh, take their percentage. So, um, you know, I think. Conversely, there are a couple of reasons to think, you know, as you said, like, is this just going to get swept in like grunge? Is this going to become so mainstream that it no longer can be controversial or it it can't, like, hurt your parents' feelings and therefore it's not really going to be rock stardom? But I think, you know, the other thing to think about is, like, every generation of rap has pushed the envelope of acceptability, right? Like, I mean, Run DMC scared the shit out of people, like, um, uh, in in terms of how hardcore that was. Two Live Crew. That, <laughs> yeah, yep. that's more, that was a little more purposeful. Yeah, exactly. That was just speaking a, of uh, speaking of talent uh, and flow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good though, um, you know. Well, plus, and I think the funny thing is now your mediums have changed. So I mean, we, yeah. we talk about not having you know uh, Capitol Records and and the big record companies pushing these you know out and, and promoting them, but you now have the big big tech companies, you know, YouTube, Facebook, um, Instagram, you know, uh, title. Twitter, title. Yeah. I mean, but these are the, that's where you're getting all the Spotify, where you're getting all your music. So it's still really, I mean, to some degree it's gotta be controlled, right? There's somebody pushing it your yeah. way. Yeah. 
Well, and I mean, the, the big difference is that these guys are all internet sensations, which means that they appeal to a demographic that's like, let's say, roughly speaking, above 13, probably, or 13 and above. Um, whereas, like, the, the still CD generation, which is, which in fairness, and like the Targets and the Walmarts and all that stuff, like actual CDs, like that is still controlled by like the distribution networks of the major labels. So, I mean, there, there is like, you are skewing toward a more high school crowd with these guys, and that's fine for them because they know who that's who their audience is going to be. Um, but anyway, that's my big theory. So, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm with you. I think it's, <laughs> yeah. I think it's, you know, it's interesting to watch the the you know the the genres that we you know that I just ten minutes ago said were polar opposites, which is indie rock and and hip hop. Uh, you know, find a find a kind of lane. I kind of love that it's meeting, and I'm and I'm mm-hmm. kind of pumping a lot of these songs like every day at this point. I mean, these guys are doing a weird thing, and they have an incredible like capacity for rhythm and style in a way that. Like the fact that they're kind of shitty at rhyming doesn't—I don't necessarily <laughs> care that much. Like it's doing something different, and that's that's really exciting to me. Um, but all right, let's take a break, and we'll we'll come back in a minute. And we'll do what are you listening to, and uh, the one hundred thousand or some number of top yeah top ten songs of all time. Um, but first, let's check out uh, "I Woke Up This Morning" by Playboy Cardi featuring Lil Uzi Vert. Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Uh, as always, we are going to end our podcast with uh, two segments. Well, the first of which is, what are you listening to? What are you listening to, Christian? So I'm actually listening to uh, this this guy, Wells, um, who used to perform under a uh, J.J. Wells or J.J. Wells, something like that, um, but recently just 
went with Wells, that's W-E-L-L-E-S, and he has a new EP called Codeine. Um, and uh, there's, uh, like, just the first song off that, if that doesn't grab your attention, um, it, it's called Life Like Mine, and it's just this sort of, like, awesome neo-psychedelia. The coolest part about this guy, though, is that he's from, he's literally from, he's not from the Ozarks. He is from a place called Ozark, Arkansas. Um, and the fact that he walked out of there, I mean, which is a pretty small area, this polished and, you know, still quite young. He's in Nashville now. Um, I kind of got high expectations for this guy on first listen. Like he has a really sort of cool voice, good look, um, and just, a, a you know, it's really, it's, well-crafted. It's a good songwriting, so check it out. How about you, Wayne? What are you listening to? Well, you know, I was going to say it's been uh, an odd week, so I have uh, um, I was on Christian's recommendation started listening to that Culture Abuse album, and I really liked that an awful lot. Um, But I'd say what I was going to mention was that I did see the, uh, and I mentioned it earlier, I did see the one-man show um based on Lester Bangs one night in Lester Bangs's apartment called uh, How to Be a Rock Critic and really enjoyed it. Uh, it's Eric Jensen uh performing and it is, you know, a lot of uh a lot of references that uh I think I got more than a lot of people. Um Lester Bangs was a like myself was a uh, a gigantic fan of the Carpenters and uh the MC5 and um it uh you know it was it was fun to it was fun to go see i saw it in boston um it had played in los angeles before and uh, i would say if it shows up in your town go see it jer nice so yeah for me um i actually just wrapped up in uh pretty much two evenings the third season of catastrophe so the rob delaney sharon horgan amazon uh streaming show comedy it's only six episodes uh, i've loved the first two seasons thought this season was was not necessarily as good, but still very good, and uh, kind of took a couple of turns that were unexpected. And musically, I've been uh, playing on repeat the new Rostam single, Guan, and it's, uh, you know, we know him as a former Vampire yeah. Weekend music man. Sorry, go ahead. And we know him from the uh, awesomely named band, Rostam. Lighthouse, I keep getting him confused with the new guy who's been like, who just became the like the um, U.S. Trade Representative Lighthizer or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but this single is, uh, it just shows off this guy's like layers of, of strings and, and instrumentation. He's not the best singer in the world. He's got a little bit of a thin voice, he's a, but he, he makes yeah, up for it. He's a great it. arranger. He's amazing, yeah. And, and uh, I don't know, for some reason it really Ooh. struck me as something like sounded a lot like some of the theme music from Empire of the Sun and, and brings you back to a couple yeah. of different things. It, it's pretty cool. He's going he's gonna to end up, like, scoring movies. And, he, by the way, I would fucking love to hear him, like, uh, score something or just collaborate with, like, a guy like Sifjan Stevens. Yeah. Like, that would be so fat. I mean, just, like, somebody else who's totally into, okay. like, deep, complex pop orchestration. Um, yeah, totally. And when you mentioned that Culture Abuse album, um, he's actually playing with Simon Doom soon. Oh great! Um, which will be cool. So I'm very excited. Yeah, and our about that. and our good good friend of the podcast, Simon Doom, also just put out his first video off his new album, Baby Man, called um, "I Feel Unloved," which is a, a fun video. Um, yep. and first single feel- off that, and an awesome, awesome song. So they're uh, they're doing well. Um, psyched to see them with Culture Abuse soon. Yeah. All right. And, so and, top one hundred thousand song, top ten songs of all time. 
the Wyndham. 1800 top 10 songs <laughs> of all time. Wyndham, put a goddamn song in the playlist. I will. And, uh, you know, I, I get personal for a second. I uh, lost my mother-in-law this weekend, uh, or this week, and um, it was very sad. And so uh, the one thing that she wasn't a huge rock and roll fan, but she did like the U2 and so I was going to put a U2 song on in honor of Joni O'Keefe. And that song is my own favorite uh, U2 song, which is uh, Red Hill Mining Town. Um, I think it's a great tune and um, in remembrance of Joni. Nice. Christian. Those, Cat- those, those Catholic boys are so cute. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I think, uh, well, this is going to take a really weird turn um, in that case. And, uh I was going to put a Gigi Allen song on, um, Don't Talk to Me. but So I'll just, I'll just do that and not say anything about it. And, and on, on to you, Jeremy. Um, yeah. Last. Sorry. <laughs> so I think, I don't know, just um, you two kind of covers the rock star thing, but in my head all day has been rock stars. And there's one song that when I think rock star for some reason just always pops into my head, and I'm not sure why, but it's uh, Won't Get Fooled Again by The Who. So I'm going to throw that one on. That is a that is a great rock star song. Actually, that's a good point. Yeah, it is. It's sort of, uh, yeah. That is that is as clear cut a uh, gigantic classic as that huge get. scream. Just a know, huge just bulge in your ear. Awesome. <laughs> yep. I can never hear without thinking of CSI. So anyway, um, <laughs> let's uh, we'll wrap it up. Uh, thanks, you guys, and um, we will be back soon with uh, talking more more about music. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Later. That's it for this episode of Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks to Simon Doom for our intro music, Hair of the God, and to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall. You can learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Tweet our mistakes and your recommendations and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. And it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Until next time, on behalf of Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you for listening. <laughs>